Good morning again. Let me welcome you and your breakfast to have a seat. Huh. We've been going through the New Testament, five chapters a week. If you've been hanging with us, congratulations. You are officially halfway through June 30. This week is a wonderful opportunity. We're wrapping up the book of Romans, Romans 14, 15, 16, and then opening up into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 2. Please join us. If you haven't been along for that ride, please join us one chapter a day. Today is a wonderful opportunity for me to celebrate what Christway is from the chapter uh, in Romans chapter 14. That's the one that you'll read tomorrow. Christway is a diverse church, and I celebrate this. It's a growing community, and I celebrate this. The Spirit works among us, and it works through us. I celebrate that. There are reasons that these things are true. There are reasons that we are diverse. There are reasons that we are growing. There are reasons that the Spirit is working among us. And those reasons are identified in the chapter that you'll read tomorrow, Romans chapter 14. So I didn't want to pass through. I love Corinthians as well. Such a cosmopolitan church. It's like, a, it's like an ancient L.A. or New York. I love the book of Corinthians, but I'm so excited to be able to say that tomorrow you're going to read a chapter by Paul written thousands of years ago that captures, the chapter that captures who we are and what we're about. We think different thoughts in this room. We have different convictions we value different things, and yet we're here in this community. It's not lost on me Sunday after Sunday that this group of people have never gathered together ever, ever. This group today is unique. And we sang the song a moment ago, and it was the, the one word was on the screen, and it was Jesus. And that's what brings us together in all of our diversity and all of our different convictions, and, and we value different things. I was thinking of things that are conversation that are up for discussion that are challenging or difficult i thought all the way back in the genesis narrative cain and abel the sons of adam and eve and cain kills abel because god wasn't pleased with cain cain kills his brother because god's not pleased now here's the conversation why why and some people would say with a long view of the scripture identifying what peggy said this morning about animal sacrifices and blood and things like that. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. Abel offered a lamb. The lamb was it. Cain didn't do it. You're out. He got mad, killed his brother. He should have offered a lamb. Maybe. Or Cain's a farmer. He didn't have a lamb. Some would say that the problem there was that Abel offered the first fruits of his flock. It literally says the fat of his flock. He offered the best. It does not say that about Cain. Maybe that's the reason he wasn't accepted. He didn't offer his best. So something as simple as that, right? A friend of mine, a theologian in St. Louis, mentored me for decades, really. He used to ask me, he'd say, Andy, when are you married? When are you married? Are you married when you ask Melinda and she said yes? Are you married when you get your marriage license and file it? Are you married when you take your vows? 
Are you married when you exchange rings? Are you married when the priest or the pastor pronounces you? Or are you married when you consummate your marriage sexually? When are you married? When is it? And we can look at that and wonder and like, well, when and what? Because there's some sin involved in there for some of us. Getting that stuff out of order. And we vary in what we think. And when you go back to the biblical narrative, it was basically this. Did her daddy say okay? And can you procreate? Rebecca came into Isaac's tent and that was that. Jesus certainly went to a wedding, but we don't know anything about it. They used to toss a sheet out the window. That's for another time. Differences. I think about when does life begin? Does life begin outside the body? When this child is outside of the body? Oftentimes they would say, some people would say that's when life begins, when the child is birthed. One word that you'll hear thrown around is they're viable. They can make it on their own. Well, there's never been a human baby that can make it on his own. Never. That child hasn't existed. Now, if you're a sheep or a gerbil or a giraffe, you're born with a full mouth of teeth. And you stand and you run. A wildebeest cannot run a hyena day one within a couple of hours. They're born fully mature. There's not a baby that's been born that's mature. How about first breath? They're out of the body, but they haven't taken their first breath. Some would say that. You would even have biblical precedent for that. Adam's body was fully formed. Fully formed. Hadn't breathed yet. And the scripture tells us that when God breathed into Adam, he became a living soul. Maybe that's when life begins. We can talk about trimesters, second trimester, third trimester. Is it first trimester? This is uncomfortable for people in here, and all I'm doing is just putting out the facts, things to consider. We got a lot of stuff, we got a lot of pegs that we hang things on, differences of opinion. How about the attachment to the uterine wall? Is that when it happens? Or is it the fertilization of the sperm and the egg? Is it conception? Is that when it happens? Which is highly controversial. Classically, Catholics would say no birth control because the sperm and the egg fertilize. And if that's life... But birth control can, it can do several things. One, it can limit the release of the egg. It can limit the ability of the sperm to travel to the egg. Or it can cause the uterine wall to be such that the egg can't attach. Which, if life begins at conception, the use of birth control is a flushing, or one might even say an abortion. Dicey stuff. Things to consider and think about. And people in this room today, this little cosmo of our community, land in all different spots. I celebrate that. The classic ethics question. We're in a philosophy class ever. The classic ethics question of the runaway trolley. The runaway trolley. There's a trolley, and it's got no controls, and it's runaway, and there's a split in the rails. And five people are over here that are going to be killed. I don't know why they're laying on the tracks. I'm not really sure what that's all about. But apparently, they're napping on the tracks, and five people are going to get killed. But you are near the lever, and you can shift the lever and cause the trolley to run on another track where only one person would be killed. What do you do? 
And that is classic philosophy, 101, talking about ethics and what do we do in that situation and what do we do in that setting? Is it okay to save five people for one? And culturally, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Eastern culture and Western culture land in different camps on that. And then they threw one in recently that I wasn't aware of. If you're a hefty person, if you're a big guy, then that big guy standing next to you and you can push him out in front of the track and stop the train. <laughs> that was a, that's a more modern addition, add, adding to it, right? I hadn't heard that one when I was in college. We didn't have that option. Would you do that? What are the ethics around all that? You see, our actions differ. Our actions differ, but our actions are not based on our decisions, and that's what's very, very important. Our actions are based on our beliefs. Our actions are based on our beliefs. We don't like our actions. Everybody does this January 1st. We don't like our actions, or we want to change it. We want to add something, or we want to take something away. We don't like it, so we think we're going to change our decisions, but that's not far enough back, and that's the key. Because belief determines decision, determines action. There is a why I do what I do story for everything we do. There is a why I do what I do. Better yet, there is a why I did what I did story for every single thing that we do. We're imperfect in our understandings. And Paul addresses this in Romans 14. We're varied in our experiences, right? Our values differ and our choices differ as a result of that. The home life that we had, the nuclear family that we had, the part of the country that we lived in. And diversity is growing here. In this room and in this community, diversity is growing here, and I celebrate that. And ministry is expanding here, and I celebrate that. And lives are being changed here, and I celebrate that. Lives are being changed because here's the deal. We're getting this right. We're actually getting this right. And what Paul is saying in Romans 14, I'm going to start here in just a second. We're going to dive in there. We try to consistently consider around here that Jesus is the way. We say it almost every week on the podcast. Jesus is the way and everything else is a conversation. I'm not sure everybody understands that I actually mean everything else. You mean most things and not this. Nope. I mean everything else. Jesus is the way. And everything else is a conversation. And there are connections that matter. We value that. We value connections and we don't want things to be in the way because we believe that it is the spirit that makes the difference. You won't be changed in this place by a program. You may be helped, but I don't know if you'll be changed. I think we have the entire Old Testament to tell us that. Right? Doesn't work without him. Doesn't work without spirit. And we've got to allow space for people to get into that spirit. Yeah. People need acceptance and belonging and community. They need those things. Enter Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Throw that up there for me, would you? Romans 14, 1 starts like this. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So, several things to consider here. You can leave that up there. Several things to consider. Number one, we are supposed to accept the weaker one. 
Here's the sidebar. Paul's going to go into this a little bit later. There's a stronger brother and a weaker brother. The weaker brother is actually the brother that has all the rules and follows all the rules. That's actually the weaker brother. But nobody that's the weaker brother thinks they're the weaker brother. That's the challenge. Right? Innately, and it makes sense to us that we're following all the rules, we're checking all the boxes, we're doing all the things, so we're the stronger brother. And thank God, Paul writes to us clearly that we are in fact the weaker brother, and yet tells the stronger brother, whoever that may be, to honor that person. Provide acceptance for that person. Space for that person. It says accept them, love them. And, they, and then on the other side, don't have contempt for the person that can drink a beer and you can't. Frankly, I'm ad-libbing there. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So you accept the weaker one, number one. Number two, there actually are disputable matters. There are, there, uh, over disputable matters, he didn't say there aren't any. There are disputable matters. And don't quarrel over those disputable matters. I think we can probably all get our head around that. Except the weaker brother, and I probably don't ever think I'm the weaker brother. Let's just be honest about that. And then, I won't quarrel over disputable matters, but here's the deal. What's disputable about this is what's disputable. I'm not going to quarrel over disputable matters, but we might have a dispute about what's disputable. Right? Because I think this matters. This column are all the things that matter. This is not a disputable matter. But we have a community here that gives space for that, and I'm grateful. What is essential and what is non-essential? Have you heard this? If you've been around church for any amount of time, you probably have. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In essentials, unity. That means everybody needs to be thinking the same thing on the essentials. Okay? Fair enough. Absolutely. 100%. In the non-essentials, liberty, you give people space. And in all things, charity or love. But once again, in the essentials or in the doctrines, it calls for unity. And in the non-essentials, it allows for liberty. But who gets to determine the non-essentials? And I appreciate that you can say the Bible does, but there are 8,000 Christian religions that have fallen out of this single Bible. So if you're on that pathway, hope you got some gas in your tank, because you're going to be on that pathway for a while. What is essential? And Paul simplifies it. He simplifies this thing. He says, in all things, love. Even the adage says, in all things, love. Jesus is the way, everything else is a conversation, and I tell you right now, I lead from that belief. That's deep for me. I have opinions about abortion, homosexuality and tithing. I have opinions about those. Church attendance and service, prayer and the gifts of the Spirit, drinking a beer and getting a tattoo, smoking cigarettes and smoking pot. I have have, uh, opinions about all those. I have opinions about Richard Nixon and Barack Obama, Martin Luther King Jr. and Donald Trump, handing out condoms, needle exchange, gun ownership and how to discipline a child. I have opinions about all those. 
And when you itemize all of my opinions, you put the little boxes that check all of my opinions, it is extremely likely that I am not in the same group with any other person in this room. Extremely likely. Someone would say, well, you're in the camp with Melinda. I know for certain I am absolutely not in the same camp as Melinda. (laughs) I know that one for sure. But my position on all of those things is love. I have an opinion. And it's, it's got lots of sources. And I've been blessed to be in people's lives intimately for 30 plus years. It's a privilege. And there's a story to every one of them. And in all those things, and you can ask me, what do you think about that? And I will tell you. That's what I think. But in all things... Love. Because that's a choice made, or a decision, or a next step. Okay. Paul said accept. Not E-X-C-E-P-T. Not accept. Accept. A-C-C-E-P-T. Accept. This morning we were in the back room and we were chatting about, you know, the day and preparing our hearts for the day. And I said, I don't have a title yet. I said, I got to get one by 6 o'clock, because Kelsey always texts me, like, what's the title today? I'm like, I don't know. Pick one. What do you think? Right? We have that little text message chain. Arnick wasn't in that meeting, came and sat down, started to share some things. We began to talk and pray. And if I have this right, he said this. He said, message for today, without hearing even what I was going to talk to you about. Difficult pathways lead to healing. Difficult pathways lead to healing. Difficult pathways where we're in this space and we all have opinions and we all have things that matter in our column and we all have the things that we think are essential. We identify those. Paul addresses this and I'm so thankful that he does. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 6, I quote this often but I ask them to put it on the screen. In Christ Jesus there's not circumcision or uncircumcision. That doesn't have anything, any value at all. Now it did and you ready for this? God actually set that up. That wasn't Moses and a bunch of guys hanging around going, what do you think we should do for, uh, who came up with that, right? That wasn't their idea. That was God's idea. And now we read this and it says it has no value whatsoever. We need to pay attention to that. God redefined it. And Paul says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And I I want you to remember the word faith. Because Paul talks about faith specifically in chapter 14. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He speaks of it specifically. Emma's reading one of my favorite books. It's Blue Like Jazz, Don Miller. In that book, and it, it revolutionized me, it hit me, and I've held on to it for decades, literally, having read the book decades ago. And there was a gal named Penny, and she had no religious background whatsoever. And she was encouraged to read the book of John. And so she smokes cigarettes and eats chocolate and reads the book of John. She said, I thought John was a salad book, but it's a cigarettes and chocolate book. So she's reading the book of John, smoking cigarettes and eating chocolate. And her summary at the end, she said, if all Christians were in one body and I met that person, I don't think they would like me. And then I read John. And I believe that if I met Jesus... I think he would like me. 
That arrested me. Changed my life. In chapter 14, verse 2, if you'll follow along with me, it's up on the screens. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. Another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. That's amazing. The one with, the, the one with the, requiring the greater discipline is the one that's actually weak. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. There's responsibility all over the room. There's responsibility all over the room to honor, to honor, to honor the space, to honor the experience, to honor the history. Responsibility all over the room. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat any, everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. God accepts us. Have we forgotten? We're going to sing I Need You More. We're going to sing it again in just a few minutes. It talks about remembering where we were and how he accepted us. Let that never be far from us. The next verse, who are you to judge? I, I, this was amazing. I was talking to Brian about this earlier. I said, man, I'm sure you've read this and could quote it. But, dude, I feel like I haven't seen this in a while, if ever. Who are you to judge someone else's servant, Paul says? To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. So, Arnick's serving God, I'm serving God. And I see what Arnick is doing, and I like what Arnick is doing. I'm like, dude, you need to do this. You need to do what I'm doing. But Paul is saying, I'm a servant, he's a servant, not okay for a servant to tell another master servant how he needs to live. That's pretty rich. That's pretty strong. I'm thankful that Paul said it and not me. <laughs> You'd be mad at me. <laughs> You'd be frustrated with me. Like, what is he bringing down today? Right? You have to work that out through you and the Lord. And I have to give you space to be able to do that and reciprocity in that vice versa. This is the way that Christ forms us. Look at this. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. It is about getting our convictions from the Spirit. It is about walking with God. This is how Christ is formed in us. This is how Christ is formed in us. Christ is formed in us, not from you repeating what Christians do or what I, my list or the church list. Christ is not formed in you in that way. Christ is formed in you when you have a relationship that you hear his voice and he guides you. And you can do things that I think, woo! And you do do things that I think, woo! Okay, that is you and God giving space. My rearing as a Christian, my, my particular flavor of Christianity, had holiness standards. And they did an excellent job indoctrinating us in those standards. Because you could pull somebody out of Oklahoma, Alaska, wherever, any place, man, and they're going to be able to spit them out, fire them out. They did a great job of that. We always talk about holiness and what you do to be holy and following all the holiness standards, literally standards and the rules. And I used to say this. I'm like, that's silliness. Here's the deal. Let me be as simple as I can be. If the Spirit is asking you to do something and you don't, or if the Spirit is asking you to stop doing something and you can't do that, that's a problem. That's the issue. Are you listening 
to the Holy Ghost? Are you listening to the Spirit? If the Spirit tells me no sweet tea and no Doritos, that doesn't have to be the new norm. That doesn't have to be on the church center app. We don't have to do all that, right? Like, like I just, for me, for whatever reason, I'm not able to eat that. You can. And I can be mad at you and have division and disunity, but we don't have that here. And I celebrate that. I celebrate the fact that we allow people to walk in a space, walk with the Lord, and we are accepting and we are with them. In chapter 14, dropping down a little bit, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Like, that's what's happening. I give an account of me to God. Therefore, this is beautiful, so as a result of me understanding that I stand before God by myself, let me stop passing judgment on on other people. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Here's what's interesting right here. You know why he wrote this? You know why Paul wrote this? Because they were passing judgment. That's why he wrote it. He wrote it to the church. He's like, hey, hey, let's stop passing judgment. He didn't say, in case you're thinking about it later, let's not start. He said, let's stop passing judgment on one another. Because in that particular culture, it was happening. They'd look at them. You look at them. Someone look at you. Everybody's got their little camps and their little circles that they're in and all the things. He said, stop it. Instead of doing that, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother. Instead of that, stop putting an obstacle in their way. It's good to know that those people were doing that. It's good to know because when we happen to do that, that's not new. And Paul addresses this. He said, here's what we want to do. Stop passing judgment and stop being an obstacle. An obstacle to what? An obstacle to what? An obstacle in the way of their movement toward him. I was thinking about this. And I always think of my daughter, of course, going to college. I have, I'm flooded with memories of her as three-month-old, four-month-old, five-month-old, six-month-old, seven-month-old, eight-month-old. Like, I, you know, the whole thing is flooded, right? She used to look at us, and Melinda and I would be in a conversation that wasn't even an argument. Just the intensity of our tone, you know, we're talking about something intense. And Sissy would hold her little finger up. She'd go, nice. Nice. <laughs> she, she thought we were arguing. She's like, nice. Which means she's probably heard that from us quite a bit. We were like, nice. Right? When people think they're right, they stop playing nice. When people feel threatened, they stop playing nice. And when people believe they have a responsibility to defend God, They stop playing nice. I preached the woman at the well and Zacchaeus and the woman caught in adultery 10,000 times. A couple weeks ago, I was at a tent meeting and I preached it again. But I said something that day and and Arnick knew. I turned to him and pointed to him right as I said it. He knew that that was one he hadn't heard. And it was one that I'd never said before. And all the times I preached it, I never said before. But in that moment, I said, you know, we put walls up. We, the church, put wall, we put walls up. I wasn't referencing this. We put walls up. Jesus went to the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. That was a cultural wall that he walked across. He walked across a cultural line. It was a big deal. 
Zacchaeus was religious and political, and he walked across that line. There was a wall there. He opened the curtain, and he walked across religious and political difference. You see, these difficult pathways, when walked, lead to healing. The woman at the well, he just walked across the line of sin. (laughs) And he just walked across those things. That's our call. You know, Jesus simplified the Bible that you carry. He simplified that for us. Love God and love each other. That's what he said. (laughs) Love God. Love each other. I don't have to get you right. I say to love you. You need to love me. And acknowledging that we have these differences. Loving God and loving each other, those are not incompatible. (laughs) They can be on the table at the same time. They are not mutually exclusive. Bo, would you throw up 1 John 4, 19? It says, we love because he first Loved us. Everybody gets that. Thank God for that, right? We love because he first loved us. And really, it's the love he gives us that we're able to reflect. And my love for you and God's love for you are not the same. I need his agape love to flow through me. No walls, not throttled, not intentionally held back or pulled away. You get it now. You don't get it now. I was giving it to you, but you screwed up. So now you got to get your junk together. And then once I pass judgment... That you're okay. No, no, no. We don't do that here. I'm grateful. I'm thankful. Whoever claims to love God hates his brother or sister, they're a liar. Whoever doesn't love their brother or sister whom they've seen, they can't love God whom they've not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We can even define that. And I had a man do it. One of my pastors, he was, he was just vicious to somebody else. Did I, Jimmy? One of my pastors was vicious to someone else. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Love your brother? He's like, he's not my brother. Really? Okay. Okay. Because there was a doctrinal difference. Okay. We don't do that here. And I'm grateful. I want to close with this. Why don't you guys come up? The band come up. Romans 14, 19. This is so rich. And this is what we're going to continue to do. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Because this, we want to do the right thing. Isn't that true? We want to do the right thing. We want to do the right thing. So let us make every effort. Go back to that, would you please, Will? Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Because that's what's right. The thing that leads not to me feeling better about what I did, but mutual edification. Is it bringing us together? Romans 14, again, verse 22, 23. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. You think they had Facebook back then? You need to pay attention to what you're posting because it's a reflection of the gospel. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. 
But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. Remember that thing we are talking about with faith? Everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. Do you know everything I do to be righteous and holy that doesn't come from a relationship with God is sin? Do you know when I follow Christian rules, it's sin? Are you kidding me? Is that what it says? It says, what doesn't come from faith? And faith is that connection between me and the Lord. What the Lord is calling me to do and how God is calling me to live and be and walk and show up. And what I accept and what I don't. And what you think I need or is it just that? Accepting. It's a faith shared between you and your father. Brian, Brian's going to close in a minute. Come on up, man. Come on up now. Brian is going to close in a few minutes. Now, Brian and I are both preachers. I should have shaved the side. Sorry, man, I'm with you. You know what? This right here, this right here, this is amazing in some circles. Did you know that not too many years ago, that wasn't okay? I heard something this week that I thought was powerful. You're, you're, I'm okay with you being my brother. I don't think you can be my brother-in-law. Not so long ago. What we're doing right now, no big deal today. Just a few, a few decades ago was scandalous, unacceptable. People would have started walking out already. We act like this is progressive. <laughs> right? Don't we? Yeah, we had the deal under the tent, a black man and a white man, and Arnick was the black man, sat next to a white guy and preached together, and everyone was like, hallelujah. I'm like, man, that's a sorry commentary yes, if that's a hallelujah moment. Mm-hmm. And you know what? We have the same, similar background. That's right. We don't believe the same things. Right. There are things he values that I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> things he'd like, man, I can't believe Andy does that. <laughs> But my brother is who you are. Right? And we think we're revolutionary in this whole deal. Paul was doing that thousands, plural, of years ago. Opening that space. Because clearly, a white man and a black man, clearly. But there are other things in here that are different. And we, they mean something to us. And yet we don't agree on them. And I don't even know what they are. But I'm sure they're there. Because we all have that story and that history. One of the biggest things that came out of the murder of George Floyd when I was talking to these two men was the issue is not about being racist. The issue is that you have a different experience than I have. And we were talking about that the other day. Arnick teaches his own children that they have a different experience than I did, but they also have a different experience than many families who are their friends. And don't let that be lost either. And that is the grace. You've talked about being an athlete. That it was a little different. You basically said white people were more accepting of you and opened doors for you because you had a jump shot. Right. That's true. Right? This is old. I've been doing this a long time. And I'm grateful that this is a community that allows space and defends space for people and for struggle. And our priority is acceptance and connection to allow a space where the Lord Almighty can come in and touch. We're not the walls. We're not blocking people off. We're not screening anybody. You get accepted. 
Would you lead us in? Thanks, man. I love you. Would you lead us in that song? Will you sing this? Sing this from your heart. Draw me again. Center of love. Hit. Into the center of your love. Our goal here is center of his love. Where I began. Sing it out. And I know that you are still in now. Lord, you
Amen. Amen. That's a wonderful, wonderful message. And I got to come up and close and get next steps to that. Let us pray. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, but, uh, you know, diversity, and, which is really conviction, is one of the toughest things to deal with. And I came from a working environment that uh, anytime you, we had a diversity class, it's called diversity, but it was so tough because people don't want to deal with diversity. And particularly where I work, they, they made it just a color thing when diversity stems has far much to do with color than, you know, it's just not black and white. There's a lot, just how we feel, how we think, how we look at things. And it was so bad that they couldn't get anyone to even teach the class because you, the person teaching it would get heckled so bad, they said they weren't doing it anymore. And so, but diversity. And Annie, Annie really spoke a very challenging word, but as he said, this was something that was spoken thousands of years ago, so it's nothing new. This is what was going on, and I think the biggest sin to diversity is ignore that there is diversity. I think to not acknowledge that there is diversity, that there is differences of opinion, there are different convictions, even though we are one body. That is the biggest hindrance, and so we have different opinions, we have different convictions, but we're one body. And our differences should never cloud or hide our true mission. Our true mission as the body of Christ, and that is to reconcile the world to Jesus Christ. My political agenda, my, my political opinion, it should never cloud the mission of who I am and who I represent. And that I speak the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with love. And he talked about me being a basketball player. And, I, and, and so, like Paul, I, I often use analogies, those athletic analogies to drive home spiritual principles. But I want you to imagine the body of Christ as a basketball team. Now there are members in the basketball team, we've got a starting five and, and, and so forth and so on, but there are members and so those five players or those 12 or 15 players, the team, they have many different opinions and uh, values. I may not hang out with this one. We might not go to lunch together. You know, I might, might, may not do this together. But when it comes to the mission, we're unified. If we're going to be a good team, if we're going to be a great team, when we step on the floor, and not, not just game time, and, and I will equate game time to Sunday morning. It's not just game time but it's the six days of the week. It's the practice every day of the week that we can never allow our differences to cloud the mission of who we are, what our responsibility is, and what we are saved for. That, that's it. When I woke up this morning and I had some things going on in my mind, and uh, as we all do, we wake up and we sometimes we got all kinds of things going on in our mind, and 
And, and I was struggling with some things. As soon as I woke up, and the words of this song came to me, and, and, and it was very intentional. I know this by the Spirit. It was very intentional. It, was, it wasn't just like, oh, I start thinking of a song, but it was very intentional. But it was, the words came to me because this is, this is what we cannot lose. And, and I want to share this with you so to inspire you to have this same mindset. And this is the mindset that we should always have and always revert back to. But the words of this song came to my mind. A lot of you may not know it. It's an old hymn. But it simply says, I found a friend who is all to me. His love is ever true. He says, I love to tell how he lifted me and what his grace can do for you. That should be what we should be emulating. Even when life seems tough, that should be the message. That political agenda, my own philosophies or ideologies or convictions should never cloud that. And then the song goes on to say, I'm saved by his power divine. Saved to new life sublime. Life now is sweet. For a long time, I used to think, well, wow, life now is sweet. But he's not talking about the life because a man that is born of a woman is of a few days and that full of trouble. He's talking about my life now in Christ, which is the true life. Which is the true life. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete. For I'm saved. 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 And that is the message. Have I got anybody here that's saved this morning? Come on, somebody. I know... Have I got anybody in here that is saved? See, I, I'm not the pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm one of them, so I can do this. Because you, Have I got anybody in here that's saved? Come on, somebody. You ought to be on your feet. I'm, and, and thanking God that you're saved. In a world that we live in today, you ought to be grateful that you're saved. That's the message. And so our convictions, our differences, our ideologies should never cloud that message, that responsibility, that testimony. And so that's what I will leave you today to make sure, to make sure that that is always your, your number one mission and that whatever Difference that I have with my brother or sister, that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is always shining through my life. That's it. That's it. That's it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we thank you. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We're so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful that we don't have to dot our I's and cross our T's. Because your grace, it doesn't give us license, oh God, to live, but it gives us the opportunity to love you and be loved by you in a way that we never could. And so we thank you. Help us to remember, oh God, the mission. Help us to remember what you've saved us for. Help us to remember to 
to love and not to allow differences to ever stop us from not accepting one another because you've accepted us. We thank you and we give you all the praise. We love you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.